Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is Jessie Too. And I'm Helen Stanback. And you're listening to another episode of Asian Bitches Down Under. Hey Helen, it's August. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, it's actually quite cold today, but um, yeah, not too bad, I guess. And how are, are you? you? Spending ti- are you spending time in the sun? That's what I've done. Like the whole afternoon, I've been trying to finish this book that I have a book club. Um, it's Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad. So I've been sitting in my backyard just soaking in the sun. Otherwise, it's like super cold when yeah, you're not in the sun. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, we went out for a walk with our dogs mm. in the middle of the day, which I will usually do it in the later of the day. But I know that's going to get really cold like later today and also tomorrow. Yeah. So yeah. we did the walk mid, uh, middle of the day and yeah, it's wonderful to be under the sun. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. It is so glorious. Yeah. So this is our 20th episode. Oh, my God. 20th episode. Yeah. (laughs) Such a milestone for us, I think. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So let's just do some catch-ups this week. Should we mention that that we need to admit that we were being unfeminist? Well, when when were we unfeminist? Kind of laughing at our brother. Oh, (laughs) right. Okay. So the story Helen's mentioning is um, over the weekend, we went over to my sister's place to celebrate my mother's birthday and my brother gifted her with an album from his wedding so my brother Mm -hmm. got married about eight months ago and then so this was like a beautiful book full of his wedding photos Um, and one of the we went through them together and one of the pictures um, showed Kevin um, in this like kind of it just it took a picture the moment he was crying when his uh, wife um, was reading her vows and he just had this face of complete distraught. Like it was earth-shatteringly sad. His face, Like I had never seen my brother um, with that kind of facial expression and I've known him his whole life, 35 years. And um, it was so f- – like we just laughed. All three of us <laughs> sisters laughed. Like we went berserk with laughter. <laughs> Because, now we're laughing because, again. Sorry, Kev. Yeah, because, yeah, no, because um, because I laughed because it just looked like I, – I think I laughed because I had just never seen him in such a distraught state. Oh, we saw Why, him yeah. at the wedding when he, was doing, when he was making his speeches, but we yeah. – But I don't remember that face because I was standing behind him. Oh, so I was okay. the best man, uh-huh. so I didn't see that uh-huh. happening. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I think the face is – like his expression of such a powerful, emotional, I don't know, like... Moment? Yeah, the moment, yeah. When, when I think it was the moment for him. When he realises he's only going to get to sleep with one person for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I feel kind of guilty afterwards that we laughed at him, but then we oh, explained yeah. to him later. Yeah, because like, just... so, when, so on Saturday night when we went berserk with laughter, watching, like looking at the picture of Kevin's face, I did look over at Kevin and I saw that he was clearly wounded by our reaction. Yeah. And I felt really bad. I did feel really bad afterwards. But anyway, a few days later, I texted in our group chat, on our family group chat, I texted saying, and I, I really thought about it because I wanted to make sure that he understood where I was coming from. Because um, Kevin, so he often brings up um, 
like remember when you guys went to see Frozen 2 together? Yeah, and so he often he often points out discrimination against men, which I think is like important obviously. Yeah. But he but he of um course. he made the point often. He often goes back to the point of calling out the fact that um one of the characters, I don't remember, like I don't Kristoff, okay, yeah. I I didn't see I haven't seen Frozen 2, but there's apparently a scene in Frozen 2 where Kristoff has a sort of um he has a number, a song where he kind of espouses his love for what's her name? Anna? Yeah, yeah um, Anna. and and he's yeah. like dancing with the reindeers or something and it's supposedly very like anti-heteronormative. Um and uh, Kevin says that you and Aya, your daughter, went berserk with laughter. And Kevin, yeah, yeah and Kevin we says laughing. that's really yeah, he was not happy because he was like, why are you teasing a guy for showing his emotions? I think he's very he's very focused on how we look and how we view about uh, male yes, yes. emotional expression, which is really good because he Absolutely. keeps that in yeah, check. And I, yeah. and I want to make sure that I never, like, I never um, shame a guy for showing any sort of emotion at all. You know, and so I had to look deep mm-hmm. down into and question why I was laughing at that picture of him crying and his on his wedding day. And I told him that it was because I had just never seen that face on him before, and it was really, really severe. And that if if it was my sister crying with that bizarre, excruciating face, I would have laughed just as bad. Like I want, I, I hope I'm not sure, but I hope that none of that humor that I found in this picture of him crying was not was not based on the fact that he was a man. Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about all that? I think it's very important that we look at the male emotional expressions as well. Ridicule we them. Like, yeah. like you said, we don't, yeah, we don't yeah. make fun of them. But in this case, I would say that we were purely in like a sibling teasing moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you said, that if like, uh, you're, like our other sister or you were in that picture... I think I would have laughed too because it was just at the moment that we never really... I wouldn't say it's funny, but it's just something yeah, that we don't we'd see. We never see him often. cry like yeah. that. Like, because our brother is the most, like, he's the most laid back, funny person I've ever met. He's So, so to see him in that state mm-hmm. was really, really funny. And kind of surprised as well. Like, like I still back, haven't yeah. seen my brother cry, sob. That picture... Um, captured a moment um, I haven't seen. Like, oh no! Actually, when he was making his speeches, he cried, didn't he? Yeah, that's what I said. Right? I said. Yeah, he yeah. did yeah, cry at lunch. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reception. Well, that was like literally like two sobs, and that was it. <laughs> and then it made me kind of yeah, but it made me kind of think like, when was the last time I saw my father cry? Like maybe at a, um, a relative's funeral. Probably Stuart Kevin's wedding. Oh really? Yeah, oh, I think he okay. he had a couple of tears shed. Yeah, yeah, but that's not crying, oh, you know? Okay. I mean, like, yeah. sobbing. I think it's a bit hard. I want men... It's difficult for men oh, to yeah. go out off and, yeah. I hate that. I hate... I hate You mean that. you hate how men constrain themselves? I hate that, that men are not allowed to cry, yeah. like, really cry. I think they're allowed. It's just, it's just that society haven't caught up to allow men to do that. Well, yeah. They they can't. Yeah. They literally can't or they'll be yeah. criticised or shamed so badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not yeah. allowed to be whole human beings. Yeah. It's really fucked up. Shit. Yeah. Well, in saying that, in the position of male, should we talk about flashmen? Oh, flashmen's in trouble, yeah. 
that you finished the book. Yeah, so last week I finished Taffy Brodner Ackner's Ak- book, Fleischman is in Trouble, which was like a massive, massive monumental literary event last year. I felt like at one mm-hmm. stage everyone was reading it, literally everyone. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Helen, yep. you got me onto it. Um, so do you want to – I'll, I'll gush about it after you have a few words about it. What do you think? What was what – was, why did you decide to buy that book? Okay. Um, I actually heard uh, one of the podcasts talking about this book, uh, I think it was around this time last year actually. Mm. What podcast? Um, the Cut. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. I think they had – they either had the author went on to the show to read like the first couple of paragraphs mm-hmm. of the book mm. or someone else. Anyway, I thought it was quite interesting because it was a um, female author and the initial narrative was about a guy, a, a middle-aged divorcee. It was like the first chapter sounds like he's going out for his like sex adventure after he got divorced. Mm. I was just thinking, okay, is this going to be interesting? I don't know. It doesn't sound too interesting to me. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then in December when I went out uh, to lunch before I met up with you to see Hannah Gatsby's show, I, I was having lunch just by myself. It was like a weekend out by myself. And I saw a middle, like not a middle age. Oh, I, I, sh- I shouldn't be agency <laughs> anyway. It was like an Asian lady, mm. like about our, our mother's age. Mm. She was sitting at the table next to me. Mm. She was waiting for her meal as well. And she was reading that book. Mm. I was just thinking, okay, I, that title kind of rang the bell in my head and I have to go and look it up mm-hmm. because I'm intrigued to know. Okay, there's this Asian lady, which I, I hardly see much Asian ladies reading in that a age book. group. Reading a yeah. book in a public place. Yeah, reading an English yeah. book. That's right, that's right, yeah. So I went home, I kind of looked it up, uh-huh. and I bought the book, but I haven't touched it for like, into like, I think it was a month ago, uh-huh. yeah. And it took me two weeks to finish. I had to say, it, it was really well written, it's amazingly written, and I loved the floor, and I liked how the book, it was divided into the parts coming from different sides of stories and perspectives. Mm. Um, after all, it is a fiction, but I think um, whoever reads it, you know, if, if you're like like you, Jesse, if you're single, you're you're married or you're divorced, anyone, okay, you there's a somehow there's a universal mm. connection to it. I think, mm. yeah. And you've got a lot of things to say about it, don't you? Well, I read it in a I read it really quickly in a couple of days mm-hmm. because I'm just a fast reader. And I um, inhaled it like air, pleasurably, because, like you said, the writing is really, really consumable. It's like mm-hmm. drinking water. It just goes straight into your ears, your eyes. You know, it's very, it's very easy to read, um, but it's not like Leanne Moriarty. It's not like bad writing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, what sustained me was, I don't know what really sustained me. I think I was just so eager to want to talk to you about, about it. Cause like right after you read it, you sent me a 13 minute long voice recording talking about your thoughts about it, which I love. (laughs) And, and I just wanted to really quickly catch up to what you had written. So to what you had spoken about, so I could like have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I found it like heartbreaking in a way that like I finished this book um, 
while I was outside in my backyard reading and like I closed the uh, last page of the book and I just felt so depressed. I was so, so upset. Like in a way that you feel upset, like have you seen the movie Roma? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it was like that. Like I remember after I watched Roma – I had to. I had to look. Heavy, heaviness. It's just so heavy. I remember after watching Roma, I quickly went onto Netflix. I think it's also on Netflix, <laughs> and I watched Bride Wars. Something yeah, because I yeah, I had to like yeah, I had to like clean my head, like kind of clean my head of any kind of trauma or like depression because mm-hmm. it just felt so heavy. And anyway, I after Fleischman, I quickly picked up um, Lisa Halliday's Asymmetry, which is. Not the happiest book, but it's, like, very different. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, it, like, it made me realise that I had never, ever been affected so severely by a book ever before. Like, I was deeply, deeply um, upset by, by Fleischman. It's also interesting because that you're, you're not married and you're not divorced, which is literally what the book is all about, marriage and then going through yeah, divorce. Yeah. And, of course, there's children involved as well. Yeah. What makes you think that you feel like that? Even oh, okay, yeah. I think I was really upset because I always had this idea. Because I've never been married. And I always, I've always believed that once I get married, my life will be a bit better. Like, I truly mm. still, like, I thought that. Mm. I don't think I think that now because after reading that book. But I truly thought before reading Fleischman that once I find my husband that I will be a little less um, fraught with anxiety about settling down with someone. Um, mm. But after reading this book, I realised that even after you've met, you've, like, I, and I know this, I know this even for a fact that, you know, because I look around me and nobody is in happy marriages. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, but I, it was only after reading this book that I realised on a very deep fundamental level, like on an emotional level, that even if I do get married and when I get married, like, my my sort of lingering anxieties about self love and finding finding sort of some sort of resolution to this um, fear of loneliness or or like this anxiety of a sadness that is always sort of on the close horizon um, that won't ever go away. Like, mm. getting married doesn't solve any of your issues, actually. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Of course not. But, like, I thought it did. I thought to a degree it does. You could okay. stop, at least you could stop fretting about, you know, uh, little things like, mm. I don't know, just like at least having certainty around a part of your life. Mm-hmm. A certain, something, someone you can rely on, I guess mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think this is something that I don't know if uh, Taffy the author of the book had initial intentions of what the readers want to feel, but I think she definitely has achieved of making the connection for the people who are married or who went through divorce and like you who are like not married or coupled to feel about, you know, don't don't have certain expectations Mm. for marriage Mm. or being with someone because you still feel alone. There's loneliness, definitely, if you're you, if you're like married to someone or if you have kids. Mm. Just like um, you know, because for those who hasn't read, you know, it's it's. Do you want to just yeah? We talk should about the summary. I know. Yeah. I was thinking that we should for those who haven't read the book. How dare you not? 
<laughs> you should go out and do it right now. Um, it's basically a book um, about a 41-year-old um, doctor. He is a liver specialist. I don't know how to pronounce the liver specialist. It's a st- word starting with H that I'm not even going to attempt because I'm going to um, embarrass myself. But he is like a liver liver specialist surgeon and he's short. That's That's what he wants you to know. He's not of a standard um, white male size. Like they go, he goes on and on and on about how short he is and how he's um, he's been kind of um, not given the full spectrum of male privileges as one is one standard standardized male is expected to have. And so, anyway, he is going through a divorce. It's nasty um, with his wife, who is a um, a uh, sort of art uh, actors actors agent, so she mm-hmm. represents famous people. She makes like ten times the amount of money he does, which is crazy considering he already makes like three hundred thousand a year. Mm-hmm. They have two kids, and most of the book, I'd say, like seventy five percent of the book, is told from the perspective of uh, this male f- male's friend, a, a sort of uh, friend he made while he was in college. And she tells the story of him. His name's Toby. Um, and it's only to the end, is only towards the end where we get her, the wife's perspective, Rachel's perspective on what had happened during their marriage. And we talked about, you know, you have to see a story from two sides. And especially when you're going through divorce, you should never listen to, you know, one side because, like, unless that you're in the marriage, you will never understand mm. what's really going on. Mm. And the book really presented well of none of them, like either the husband or the wife, are the perpetrators mm. or the victims, mm. but they both are the victims of the how the society's expectations of marriage, parenting, also on themselves as well, you know. Mm. It's, yeah, I, I do feel a bit of, like, I don't think I feel as happy as you did, <laughs> but uh, do you remember that you asked me that because I, I didn't feel that much sadness for the couple because I have low expectations compared to Rachel, Rachel, the wife. Because in the book, it seems like Rachel have always been chasing material wealth and status, status, so she wants to climb social ladders and things like that. But I think it's really different. Like, because basically we have very, I was just thinking that it's incomparable because our childhood and our experience of growing up is extremely different. Like, yeah. I'm talking about me and Rachel. Yeah. And even if we have similar backgrounds, I think my values are just too different to her. I mean, I'm happy with my dogs and my house, my little house and my little family. Your house is but not I can't... little. <laughs> Your house is not little. I don't know. I just feel like my value is very different to her. Yeah. Like, I envisioned that, you know, the first time when I saw this house, that because um, it is like a house from one of the books I really love by the Japanese author, Murakami. The book is called Kafka by the Shore. It's like a little green house, timber house. So the first time I saw the house, I really liked it. Are you talking about your house? Yeah, my house. You have never told me this story. That's so sweet. It's just so similar Aww. to the house that I read. Right, okay. And hmm. I'm not a person that is too materialistic. Yeah, neither. You know? But then again, you know, materialistic is very subjective. You what know, do you mean? Everyone have oh, right. everyone yeah. have different s- standard of you know how you've been uh, materialistic. The only material I want is books. Yeah, yeah. I think for me it will be like I don't I don't find 
anything that's beyond my basic needs, yeah, yeah. anything beyond my basic needs will be wants. Yeah. And you really got to consider whether or not those wants yeah. are necessary. Yeah. I also feel like there's more joy in denying myself something sometimes. Mm. Like um, mm-hmm. stepping away from something that feels... Like I know that when I got my book deal for my novel, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to celebrate by like buying myself a bunch of flowers. And then I mm-hmm. walked past Woolworths at, in Crow's Nest and I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to get it because like getting it is so predictable. <laughs> so I didn't uh, end up getting it. Okay. It's just sometimes it's more fun to deny yourself pleasures. Mm-hmm. I know it's yeah. kind of weird, but I don't know. I feel like there's more satisfaction in doing something that you ought to do that feels mm-hmm. natural yeah i think one of the top miserable trap that people often fall into is that they want everything and end up not having anything you know the certain expectation and then you don't meet that expectation mm-hmm. i think that's what happened in the book and also a lot about a lot of marriages as well you know don't, people hold so much expectations when they walk into marriage and then when certain expectations are not achieved, the disappointment will be overwhelmed. Well, to me, it's it's more inner peace. I think I mentioned this before. You know, that's the turn I think people need to have rather than the search of happiness. Mm. It's just too exhausting to search for happiness all the time. Do you want to uh, talk about the the other book that you were reading? Oh, asymmetry. So mm-hmm. asymmetry is like so. If I say Flashman is like. Um, a really good Hollywood film and Asymmetry is like a French film. Mm -hmm. Asymmetry is very beautifully written. It's like, I'd say on a craft level, it's way better than Fleischmann. Um, Lisa Halliday had a affair with Philip Roth when she was in her 20s and the book book, um, kind of is in three parts and the first part is, I'm not going to spoil the second and third part, but the first part is about their affair and um it's really it's just exquisitely written uh, that's all i have to say about it like if you really love really expensive cheese and wine if you're one of those stops, <laughs> go and read this book <laughs> uh-huh. yeah that's cool yeah i've been reading the chimamanda nagozi mm-hmm. adichie's half of a Yellow Sun. Nice. Yeah. And how's that going? It's going very well. Yeah, I'm almost halfway through it. Yeah, I love it. I love reading something that even though, like, I haven't been to a place. So the the book is, the fiction is set in Nigeria Mm -hmm. in the 1960s. You know, Mm -hmm. obviously I haven't never been there. And, Mm -hmm. of course, during that time. But I can, you can always visualize from, you know, your experience of what you've watched yeah. of a certain place. And it's just very beautifully crafted, all the writing, the characters, how it flows. It's just very w- well written. Yeah. Mm, okay. Have you watched anything this week? Um, I've been watching a documentary that I have to have, that I've had to segregate night after night. It's on YouTube. It's called The Work which a friend recommended to me. And it's basically about um, men outside of prison going in to men, to meet men inside who are incarcerated and trying to get them to be more, trying to find their emotional centres. And I'm part of a book club based in North Carolina um, where we talk to uh, death row inmates every week, once a week. um, And... It's been really compelling. I really look forward to these meetings. Basically, 
we get to meet the men who had their letters published in this book called Crimson Letters, which is, I think I might have told you about. It's yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Um, I think we should do the part, a, a part just on that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I would love that. I'm just yeah. like I guess really quickly because I want I, I don't want to drag this out, but I'm just someone who's really interested in all male spaces and the prison incarceration system. Obviously, is one overwhelmingly dominated by men. And so I'm watching this documentary um, and finding it really hard to sit through after 10 minutes. I have to stop watching after 10 minutes because it's so emotionally taxing. It's very confronting just seeing these men basically wanting to be full human beings and unfurling and realising that they haven't been able to express themselves fully and the kind of guttural cry and the and the tr- and the unleashing of their emotions is so clearly depicted in this documentary. Prison system will be really dehumanizing, wouldn't it? Oh, there's so yeah. many issues I can go into, which yeah. I will one day. But um, yeah. it is just yeah. we'll such a fascinating. We'll do an episode. It's such a fascinating yeah. um, context in society. So this week I've been watching Amazon Prime's Little Fires Everywhere. Awesome. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's based on Celeste Nin's uh, book. Shit um, book. Yeah, you told me it's not, not, not a well, good book. Well, it's badly written. Like, oh, it's a okay. great story. It is such a good story, but I was really I, – um, I did not like the writing. Anyway, go on. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't want to talk too much on that because I just started on the first two episodes oh, and I haven't really got oh, into much so of amazing. it. it's so yeah. amazing. It's so amazing. It's such a great show. Yeah, I, I love how uh, Reese Witherspoon portraying the, this obnoxious white woman. Karen, <laughs> you know? she's the yeah, ultimate Karen. Her actions are so intimidating, so perfectly intimidating. Yeah, as a white woman. And the other ones I've been catching up is Umbrella Academy season two. What can I say about this? I don't want to bore you out because I don't know how much of our listeners out there are sci-fi fanatics, but. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically like a like a freak family, travel, uh-huh. time travel, and they have all superpowers, and they're trying to just stop this apocalypse happening. And there's in season two, there's really great um, narratives about anti segregation movement mm-hmm. and also the police brutality, which has been happening in the US mm-hmm. forever. And I think it's really w- good that they play it out on the drama. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and the final EV consumption that I'm going to mention, um, I feel kind of guilty of mentioning this because no. I've been binging. No, there's no I've such been thing binging as guilt. <coughs> binging it. the last few days. Um, so it's a Chinese comedy slash drama, uh-huh. title that the translator is You Mother Barker. So I don't know why yeah, they translate it like that. I don't that. get it. Isn't it, yeah, why is because my wife so cute? No, why is my mother-in-law so adorable? Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so it's like, I think it's like 20 episodes or something more because mm. I'm only up to 14th episode. It's about uh, like a very traditional Chinese pastry-making <gasps> family. Yum. And then the dad passed away oh. and the family's got five kids. Mm. And so the story, the, the drama is basically centering on two women. Mm. One is, of course, the mother-in-law. Mm. And the other one is the daughter-in-law of the younger son. But unfortunately, the younger son passed away in an accident. Jesus Christ, how? Um, it was like a freak accident that they hit fall from a cliff 
during the trip, oh. like when they're taking a photo, oh you know, how God, those things, really... yeah. So it reflects on how um, the traditional values of the mother-in-law in Taiwan oh or God. perhaps yeah. across Asia, yeah. um, how she wants to still uphold, you know, the conservative family values and things like that. Mm. And the daughter-in-law who lost her husband, she's thinking that she's got no connection to her husband's family anymore and mm. she's trying to escape. And it's got a lot of... Um, conflictual ideas about family, um, what do you call them? Um, I don't know, protocols? No, 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 no. How you have to look up into the elderlies and look after them. Filial... Filial duty? Yeah, filial duty, that's the word, yeah. Fucking hate that shit. Uh, the mother was trying to, like, she's retiring, but they also have an apprentice in their pastry shop who will say that, oh, don't retire, you know, I still want to... St- continue to make pastry are there yeah. any scenes of pastry making in the yes show? yes oh my god i'm gonna watch it yeah and it's just so funny making. when i'm talking to my friends about that how much i missed you know chinese or Chinese pastry in taiwan and oh, some of them yeah. will say that you know i'm kind of scared of it because they ate too much when they're in during their childhood right. whereas right. compared to us those things are really rare yeah you know growing up in australia yeah it's a really funny um what's it called drama. again uh, no, I mean, how can other people have a look, have a look, see? I do wish that they have English subtitles because my husband's sitting beside next to me. You know, when we're watching it, I have to continue like, translate. translate. <laughs> so oh my God, just, why doesn't yeah. he just learn Chinese? I know. <laughs> anyway, um, they don't have English subtitles yet, which is I'm okay. so disappointed. Yeah, because but where the, where do you watch it? Just uh, for those people who online. do. I think it's on like. Queen drama. Just look up Queen drama. Yeah, okay. Chinese dramas. Well, yeah. will you sh- will you send a link in the show notes? To yeah, I'll send a link to a show notes. Audience, but I don't know if anyone want to watch it. There's no English subtitles. Who cares? Well, a lot of our listeners are native speakers yeah, true, anyway. So, true. okay, okay. Should we jump into our main topic yeah. today? Yeah. So last week, um, in Australia, um, I saw someone talk about this thing where uh, a lot of f- famous women, famous as in like famous in Australia, i.e. like news broadcasters, <laughs> oh my God, um, were taking black and white selfies mm-hmm. and then hashtagging challenge accepted. And I rolled my eyes and I thought, what the fuck is this? Here's yeah. another stupid tokenistic display of what the fuck? I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, can you tell us hell what the <laughs> hell was going on? Okay, so uh, hashtag challenge accepted. Uh, looks like like a trend or a campaign in Instagram targeting the idea of women supporting women. So they were asking users on Instagram to post a black and white portrait of themselves. Well, to my knowledge, uh, please correct me if our listeners have a better idea. The movement was initiated by a supermodel, uh, Sydney Crawford, that kind of escalated to other celebrities like Natalie Pullman, Khloe Kardashian, and Nigella Lawson, uh, who later apologised because she didn't know what was it for initially. Oh, okay. So basically... It was trying to promote female empowerment, tagging others to join in. Um, So far from the data record I saw from yesterday, there's about 6.5 million hashtags used on this. And I browsed through those pictures. Most most of them, I'll say 90% of them, are terribly aesthetically posed picture of able body and probably... White. 
Yeah, predominantly women with privilege are white. So what was the controversy? There's nothing about it. It's just a photo. That's the basic of it. You know, um, there's the controversy behind it, but we have to look into what initiated, you know, before yeah. that everyone kind of jump onto the bandwagon and start posting photos of themselves. So people are, some of, some of the women are questioning, you know, what is this doing to achieve women, empower women? It, it's got mm. nothing to do. And what, what is the challenge for, you know? I think there was a quote from uh, New York Times uh, on last Monday, you know, saying that this kind of challenges, you know, mm. um, allows the users to feel as if they're taking a stand while they're doing almost nothing. Well, yeah, totally. They're spending like an hour of their day tagging 50 other women. That's what they're doing yeah. instead of doing something more productive. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So we're looking back into the actual you know, purpose of this uh, hashtag. It's actually was initiated, um, actually not initiated, but reinitiated by um, talking about femicide, violence against women and the so-called owner killing in Turkey. But it kind of, the, the hashtag movement kind of um, brushed away the actual main purpose of yeah. bringing up this topic, talking about the death by violence against women in Turkey. Um, I don't know if anyone knows out there, but apparently there's 140 women die already so far this year in Turkey and also in Australia, to put into context, 31 women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, women die. Mm-hmm. Right. From violence, like we're talking right. about domestic violence, violence by their partner and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So how did Cindy Crawford get on board this whole Turkish thing? Well, I think this is, we just made a connection because um, this is really vague of how to trace back the initial yeah. hashtag. Yeah. So there were medias talking about there was actually um, like a Brazilian journalist, Anna Paula Pedro. Yeah, with another hashtag, woman supporting woman. And it's just kind of like escalated and flooded into Instagram. And you know how Chinese whisper happens, as in mm. um, sometimes the content get mixed up yeah. if you pass on to more people. That's what happened with this hashtag and a lot of hashtag along the way. From what I've researched, there's a, a media content called Vox. It was talking about uh, there's a Los Angeles-based Turkish writer. They were saying that on this is last week, saying that they, she was trying to explain that the violence in Turkish women faced and the need to enforce the Istanbul Convention, which is the um, stand or the actions that they're doing to raise awareness of uh, to the Western countries that you know a lot of them that they don't know much about Eastern women's issue. Yeah. And noting how women from Muslim or Asian countries tend to be exotic, what's the word? Exoticized. Exoticized, that's right, or ignored by Western society. The influencers and celebrities, you know, I think they just love this kind of type of challenge because they don't require actual advocacy. Mm. And kind of that's what happens, you know, it, it will alienate, you know, certain factions on, of their fan base. It's just something that's so small that they need to do to kind of uh, connect to their fame base mm. and flood it all over Instagram, but mm. it really meant nothing. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? I feel like a lot of what happened with this 
challenge accepted um, phenomena is mm. kind of what I saw with a lot of people black hosting black tiles during the yes. heat of the BOM mm -hmm. movement in the last couple of months, weeks, I suppose. Um, it's super tokenistic. It's like, I'm going to do this because I have to as a public mm -hmm. figure, but um, nobody actually goes home and does the work. And yes, there's been a, like a spike in book sales regarding, you know, Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility and a lot of other um, kind of race-based consciousness books. But um, I don't see that leading anywhere unless you... I don't know, like, unless you're someone who deeply just cares about the lives of other people, people outside mm -hmm. of your race, your gender, your yeah. orientation, your class, your education yeah. system, your pedigree. And so um, I don't care about any of these women who have gone on board and um, decided to partake in such a reductive and essentializing and... Um, I don't want to call it shallow, but it is kind of like a shallow performance of um, – it's a it's it's like at the end of the day for me, it's it's just another performative aspect of keeping up your public persona. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that these women are terrible people, absolutely. I've had gorgeous women approach me um, on Instagram and want me to participate and I've felt bad in kind of like just – ignoring them but um I, mm -hmm. you know they i'm sure they have their reasons it's just something that i don't want to partake in because i'm just someone who's consciously dis dislodged herself from the digital space because i mm -hmm. hate the digital space um i know that you know like i've been going on a tiktok rant in the last week with my colleagues at women's agenda about how much i hate tiktok but you know tiktok has its uses i know that in a lot of countries outside of the West, um, it has been used to uh, mobilise very effective, important, urgent political uh, movements, especially mm -hmm. among young people. I know that is, that's not something I want to criticise or condemn at all. I understand that it's important, um, but it's a, largely a platform which I feel very uncomfortable about um, when it's used for... Um, unmeaningful reasons i guess mm, true true i think we or at least myself i think i'm going to be a kind of like an unpopular opinion here today because everything i, I say is unpopular i don't care <laughs> you shouldn't care either. and identify the flaw of this kind of movement or is it even a movement i don't know you know simply click one minute of egg like posting like a photo of yourself and a tag hashtag challenge accepted and then trying to tag all your friends to do it and I know I've seen my friend doing it I've I actually seen a couple of the people that I, I really admire you know I was going through going through the Instagram I saw Bonnie Tsai was doing it I was kind of disappointed I was thinking oh why are you doing it too like I was hoping that she would actually oh, I don't know I shouldn't be criticizing <laughs> I just want something that's tangible, you know, that's actively promoting feminism. And I think, yeah. Without people doing it on just on social media. Yeah. I mean, the biggest movers, the, big, the, peop, the most important people in this world who make real change are the ones who we never, ever, ever, ever hear of. 
I think mm-hmm. I deeply yeah. think that. I think that so much, and I will always think that that the people who should be given the microphone and should be given the most broad range of powers are never the people who want that kind of power because they're not. That's right. Dickheads. Only mm-hmm. dickheads reach for positions of power. Yeah. You know that there's massive, really, really, really messiness behind all the argument who initiated or why do we have this movement? Um, the New York Times uh, journalist Tyler Lores, um she published a writing about this hashtag, pointing out that it didn't start it um, because of the home, uh, femicide in of Turkey, and she she's been like kind of caught out of like what we're doing actually right now, you know. But then there's a backlash of what she have published and also on her Twitter as well, talking about, you know, there were people sending DMs to her saying that, oh, are you a woman hater? Are you not supporting feminism? Why? What was her stance? What did you say? She's basically doing what we're doing right now, Which saying that it's kind of, perform- we're calling out it's performative, it's, you know, lack of actions and... Mm-hmm. Do you know what you're actually hashtagging it for mm-hmm. and why you're doing that, you know? Um, basically, we're, we're looking at violence against women and I'm starting to see a couple of hashtags that is really relevant in sense of um, the person who ha- do, does the hashtag will actually do something else as well. For example, Clementine Ford, I really mm. applaud her that I think she made a donation mm. to a woman's shelter yeah. while she was, you know, doing this hashtag. I think yeah. her point was that, you know, we shouldn't stop of trying to promote feminism, but we need to do something more tangible. Yeah. Yeah, and it's in empowering women. Yeah, don't just, yeah. Just, just say something but actually commit to some sort of um, something something that will change things for someone. Yeah, it reminds me of um, Gia Tolentino a couple of weeks ago. I saw that on Twitter she was giving a shout-out to people, um, people of colour, trans people in America who wanted to apply for residencies or scholarships and she was she said that she had like a $1,200 fund that she was willing to help people pay for application fees of these mm-hmm. scholarships. That's and I amazing. Thought, mm-hmm. That's great. Like uh, I didn't think she was like Jesus, but I thought, well, good on her for actually just doing something um, like you mm-hmm. say, tangible, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, like, how we perceive feminism activism, you know, is very subjective sometimes, I think, you know, depending on where and what we stand and also how individual is experienced in their life. And I think that is how we determine whether or not our allyship is actually giving a voice to a feminist or simply a performative act. What I'm saying is that some people think that, you know, doing the hashtag thing is enough, as in I'm I'm putting out words there. Mm. But for us, it's sometimes it's just not enough. Yeah, so it's it takes little steps at a time. I don't know how anyone could think that that is enough. Just think about it. Why hasn't there any man done it? Why is a still woman doing all those hashtags? I don't see men doing men are it. too busy running the world, saving <laughs> lives, yeah, putting people in jail. But then we're talking about we're talking about violence against women. You know, yeah. shouldn't men be the biggest biggest 
yeah, responsibility of, of all, yeah. Because they're the ones who we who, are die for. We are the perpetrators, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a whole yeah. other level of issues. Yeah. Obviously. I think we have to do, we, have, we might have to do like an episode on violence against women and children. Um, no, that's all I've got for that, actually. I don't have um, much to add on that, mm. but I think people should really, you know, maintain a critical thinking about what you do. Don't even think that because it's a digital platform, one click away, then you're done. But I think there's a lot of significance behind of what you do yeah mm, mm. yeah anyway uh should we do a couple of recap of shouting out to our listeners okay. <laughs> and things like that yeah okay so in conclusion i want to shout out to our listeners uh it's good that we have some feedbacks this week uh yun, yun chen um she asked us about our personal experience if we had some racism which you said you didn't uh, about growing up in Australia, uh, which is very different from me because I experienced racism throughout my school years. Yeah. And yeah. I, w- I was just thinking, because I encounter a blogger's uh, story. This is a new immigrant to Australia. She was saying that she experienced racism lately uh, mm. in one of her, on one of her day at a cafe because she, she spent like five hours in a cafe and she had to go to the mm. toilet and the cafe owner mm. kind of told her that, oh, we lost the key to the toilet. And later she saw the key mm. on the counter and she kind of feel like, oh, was I discriminated? Yeah, but then yeah. I asked my friends, I, I explained the whole thing, but my friend said, no, she's not being dis- discriminated. She was there for five hours. Like she was sitting at the cafe mm. for five hours. So I guess everyone has different perception about discrimination what do you think um i would like to hear the entire story before i comment on it well i just told you the entire story she was there for for five hours and she says she's been there for a couple well, of days were the were the rest were the cafe owners yes. white um and did she see anyone else take the key she didn't say she didn't use say it? whether or not other people has used the key well yeah i would like yeah. to know that because then that makes That's a difference true. yeah yeah but I think her behaviour is somehow questionable. As in, you, you're going to spend a... Like, why can't you go to, like, a library for five hours? Well, she can do whatever she wants, yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. But I think it's just a kind of selfish, wouldn't you? Or maybe you're... you're what? Really? Maybe you're a bit... You're in a different stance to me. I just don't think that I couldn't sit in a cafe for five hours and... I could do that, gladly. Okay, anyway... Why is that selfish? Because you're taking up someone's space and you're drinking water from the yeah, but you know what, it's yeah. But what if what if what if there's like what if it's like a not a busy cafe? What if, if yeah, it's a busy cafe? We didn't know then, whether or yeah, not it was okay, busy, but, and she was taking up space for other you know customers that who wants to set in order. She's not, well, if, well, if there are people lining up at the door, then obviously I would be cognizant of that. But you know, that all depends if it was a busy uh-huh. cafe. Nadia, thank you for listening to us. Uh, she says that she would like to listen to more talks on mental health for Asians. She said that our episode on mental health and Asians resonated with her a lot. And also Lilu, thank you Lilu from Perth, Australia. Listen to our podcast. Uh, she mentioned that our 
experience kind of set her position, how she positioned how her identity in Australia. Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. it for this week. Any other things? Awesome. No, no, but it was great to chat. Okay, thanks yeah. again to our listeners. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts and also give us a review. You can also find our updates on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Asian Bitches Down Under and we welcome discussions and feedbacks. So we'll chat to you next week. Yeah, thanks, Bye. Helen. Chat to you guys next week. Bye.